Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Uh, my guest today is Tim Routon, a partner at Pincent Masons, a firm based out of the UK. Tim, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. Richard, nice to meet you. Yeah, thanks for coming. So would you let listeners uh, know what Pincent Masons does? Uh, okay, so Pincent Masons is a um, uh, UK-based international law firm. Um, so we've got over 400 partners and around 1,600 lawyers uh, in total worldwide, focused primarily in the UK, mainland Europe, um, Asia Pacific, and the, the Middle East. Um, uh, and our, our vision is to be the, the international market leading law firm in the five global sectors that we focus on. Um, those, those, those global sectors are advanced manufacturing, technology, financial services, energy, infrastructure, and real estate. When you say advanced manufacturing, do you mean 3D printing or um, what aspects of the advanced manufacturing do you mean? Yeah, I, I think it just just very broadly, the manufacturing uh, sector and, and the technology sector sort of grouped in together as one, but that does include aspects like 3D printing. Um, but it, 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 it could, we're all very, very, very connected, for example, in cars and connected cars and, and, that, and those types of issues. And what about um, cryptocurrencies, you know, blockchain type technology? Do any of the attorneys there have a big focus in that? Yes, yeah, so we have been um, in, in involved in a lot of thought leadership um, and around the fintech space generally, um, and that has, has included blockchain and distributed ledger as well. Um, I, I think traditionally our, the clients of our firm are the, the larger corporates. I, I did a lot of work um, facing off to the financial services sector, so many of my clients are the large um high stream clearing banks and insurance companies and so I focus a lot on their 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 technology needs. So large scale um procurements, um outsourcing, system development, that that type of work. That's my um bread and butter work if you like. Mm. Um because of the um the the new digital landscape, the threat posed by um Fintechs, then, then, then our, our clients have to react to that uh, and do their own thing in terms of, you know, digital propositions, um, fintech solutions. Uh, and so I'm, I, I see a lot of the that the, the fintech space from their perspective, I suppose it's fair to say. Um, we, we do have, and we're, we're growing our relationships with some 
some smaller fintechs and startups. But as I said, the, the bread and butter uh, work and uh, most of what we see comes through what our larger clients are doing. Okay, interesting. You said you see, uh, I guess, some of your clients and you see some of the fintech innovations as threats. I've, I've only heard of it mostly as opportunities, except if we're talking yeah, about well, maybe so- hackers and malware. Tell, tell me a little bit more about more about that. What uh, technologies do some of your clients see as um, positive for them or negative for them? Well, so I, I think it's both a threat and an opportunity for them, to, 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 to be honest. Um, so, you know, faced with with the, the the new landscape, the new fintech landscape, I suppose that they're left with a number of, of options, but so the, the, the traditional players I'm talking about here, in terms of how, how they deal with that threat, um, you know, they can either compete, try and compete with those those fintech directly, I suppose. They can collaborate or partner with them. Um, they can incubate them. There are many of the, the, the banks here, and I'm guessing the same in the States as well, have got their own incubation programs to to develop and nurture that talent uh, and to identify those um, the good opportunities and work with them and, 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 and help grow them. Um, and, of course, the other option is, is, is simply to, to go out in the market and acquire these these um, these, these fintechs. Um, but we're seeing a lot more collaboration, I think, between the traditional um, players and the, and the startups. Well, in the fintech realm, any particular technologies that are perceived as the biggest threat, biggest opportunity? You know, there's blockchain technology, distributed ledger stuff. Uh, anything else, or is that the main one? Um, I mean, I'd say that's worse. That certainly wasn't getting the most attention, um, and there's, you know, a lot of work going on. Um, we're not, we're still not seeing the, I would say, necessarily the fruits of it coming out so far, but there's, um, there is a lot of, um, Action and obviously in that space, and we are seeing, um, starting to see those projects coming through now, and we're starting to see uh, we're starting to see those developments ar- arising. But it's it's not just purely on the blockchain side; it's just generally on the, the whole digital deployment around. Um, we do a lot of work on um, mo- mobile payments, for example. That, I mean, that's been around for years now, but it's still a, it's still a, a busy and growing part of the. Part of the sector. I figured you'd be privy to some of the newest developments, the most biggest game-changing ones. What do you consider like the top three in the fintech space for a start that uh, are going to be the most fruitful or disruptive or interesting? Um, so, I mean, I, th- I think I think blockchain is um, blockchain distributed ledger is going to be um, disruptive. I, I'm perhaps not not one of the uh, advocates that the necessarily thinks it's going to change change the world or or be as be as big as the um, be as big as the internet. And I think that's probably if I sort of putting my legal hat on on, on mm-hmm. things. I mean, when when we talk about um, blockchain and distributed ledgers, typically some of the legal issues that that come up when um, when when that's discussed are you know around how we, how can you regulate the activities that go on in the blockchain and um, if there's no central authority responsible for for the systems and activities un- undertaken on you know how, how do you regulate it how do, how do you take action against people um, participants in the in in the blockchain if they're unknown for example or what jurisdiction applies if you've got a global network 
um, where Protestants are located anywhere in the world. And, and I think most of those issues primarily relate to the use, I suppose, of a permissionless distributed ledgers like Bitcoin, where they're not controlled by anyone and the, and the participants are um, pseudonymous. And I suppose where I'm coming from is I think what's, what's most likely, the, the most likely area of growth around distributed ledger is more likely to be in the permissioned distributed ledger space where the system's controlled, to some extent anyway, by, by a central authority. And, and, and the entry of the, the participants of those is, is is controlled by by either identity or location or or both, and that way you know who's participating in the system. You can control the territories, you know the jurisdiction. You can you know appropriately regulate it to the extent that activity need needs regulating. I suppose. But the, the flip side of that, of course, is if you're you know using permission distributed ledgers, and if you are uh, controlling access to people, then you lose a lot of the you cut out or you maybe nullify some of the features of distributed ledger that makes it sort of attractive in the first place um, mm. in the sense of you know, the, the lack of a central authority to validate transactions um, is, is a key benefit, but it's also a key sort of legal hurdle on each step over as well. All right, so you think the, um, the jurisdiction will come from uh, people using more permission blockchains where you know who it is, where they are, and the jurisdiction resides with the... Uh, the originator, let's say, of a transaction in a given country. Yeah, I think so. I think for people to be able to use and trust um, them, I think they're going to they're going to need to have some form of um, person just respond that they feel responsible for it that they can go to if they, if, if there are problems. Uh, and, and I suppose linked link to that is 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 obviously the issue around um, smart contracts and. Um, you know, again, there, there's typically legal question marks put over the, the concept of smart smart contracts, and often that's around sort of particularly around contract formation. You know, are the fundamentals of contract law being met by a smart contract? You know, are the t- terms of the contract known to to the customer? Are they certain? Have they been accepted by the customer entering into that smart contract? And, and is there an intention? To create a legal relationship, because all those are elements that, well, particularly, well, under English law anyway, those are elements that are required to form a valid legal binding contract. Um, uh, but, but I suppose these discussions often um, hinge on what, what we mean by a smart contract. So um, I think you'll probably, you'll probably get two different perspectives if you talk to a lawyer or if you talk to a technologist, you get a different answer as to what a smart contract is and you've got one on the one hand the technologist would probably say that the you know, smart the smart code is the contract itself um whereas a, a lawyer like myself being a more conservative would, would say that the, that the code is simply executing what is a, you know, a, a contract that sits outside of the code is perhaps in in in, 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 um, in natural language um and you know, if if you're talking about that, that latter Element uh, where where you, you've got a contract that sits outside of the code as well. It's easier to prove in those circumstances or showing that circumstance that a contract has been formed, um, and, and often that would be through you know obtaining the consent of the user when they sign up to whatever the, the platform is that that, sit, that, mm. that sits on top of the on top of the ledger. They'd be signing up to some form of terms, just like you would on any other um, online for, for, you know um, platform. Um, and, and I think because I do a lot of work in the FS space, which is a regulated space, um, 
regulation's got a part to play. Um, so, for example, I was looking at uh, a use case uh, recently in the insurance sector where uh, the customers are using um, use a distributed ledger and smart contracts to sign up to insurance contracts, which would then self execute if certain insurable events occur, like flooding to your house, for example. Um, okay. Now, in those circumstances, in the UK, certainly, and I suspect the same is, is, is uh, applicable in most jurisdictions, that the, the regulator here insists that all contracts for insurance are agreed in writing, um, and the consumers must be made aware of those terms. So, um, you, you can't really achieve that if you're sort of adopting the narrower technical definition of a smart contract, whereas if, if you see a smart contract as just literally the code executing what's otherwise a natural language contract, then again, you're, you're um, uh, on, on safer ground. So, so smart, smart contracts in a, um, in, a, in a legal sense, maybe not that different to the normal contracts that, that have some form of self-execution through an automated process. Well, I guess the more similar they are to what you know, already happens in the real world, the more likely they'll uh, be adopted and used. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I just, yeah, I, I think inevitably whenever you're dealing with any form of sort of consumer, you're going to have to have some form of way of them understanding what it is they're entering into, uh, mm-hmm. um, how they can how they can um, get out of that arrangement if, if they want to, who who they go to if, if, if there's a problem, um, you know, that. I, I, well, I forget the name now of the, of the, of the, of the, the chap who coined, who coined the phrase smart contract, but even before the distributed ledgers were around. But you know, he, had, you know, he suggested that just putting your, your your coin into a vending machine and getting a, a can of soda out of the vending machine is, is, is a smart contract in the sense that you you do one action, put your coin in, and you, uh, the contract's formed, and you get the can of Coke or whatever it may be out of the other end. Right. Um, so, to, to, to my mind, there might be some, some fantastic code and really clever technology that sits behind that and is executing that on on the blockchain. Um, mm-hmm. From a legal perspective, um, <clears throat> still need to have, have certainty around the, uh, what, what's going on. Well, I don't know how much um, the public is going to worry about what's going on behind the scenes with the smart contract. Um, you know, when you look at terms and conditions on website. Um, no one reads them. No one can read them. They're so long. I mean, it's it's amazing yeah. to me that people are allowed to just click yes, and you know they're deliberately constructed in such a way as to be, I, I believe, fraudulent and misleading because they know that people are not going to read them, and they can't read them, and they can't understand them, and they're you know it's ridiculous. And they uh, they hit you with them right at the moment when you want to use an application or a service when they know there's no time for you to read them. So when that kind of behavior is so rampant, I don't really personally have much hope that smart contracts will have to, um, you know, behave themselves and uh, make all these disclosures to people. And I, I sadly think that people are just going to use them regardless without much thought because look what's already happening. Yeah, well, I, this is just my opinion. You know? Yeah, no, well, it's, it's a completely valid opinion and I, and I agree, with, agree with most of what you say. I mean, I, I'm guilty of, uh, as much as anyone of clicking on and accepting Terms and conditions online without without reading them because I know there's very little <laughs> opportunity to change them anyway. Um, uh, but but we do have you know we do have consumer protection laws that that, that apply to make sure that those terms uh, are fair and reasonable um, 
and I suppose people rely rely on on that to uh, as their safety net um, in, in those sort of consumer orientated um, positions anyway. So what do you think the role Maybe, of... Um, just, just on that point, sorry, Richard, it's, okay. it's very interesting. I had a mobile payment client I dealt with a, a few years ago. We had to do a set of terms and conditions for, for both the consumer or the user of the, the system, but also to merchants that were um, you know, going to sign up to the service and then accept the mobile payments. And this particular uh, mobile payments uh, provider was um, didn't, wasn't concerned at all about how long or or difficult the the user terms and conditions were because he knew that 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 that, that person would just click click through and, and and accept them. But what what he was concerned about was making the merchant terms short and snappy um, in in a, in a short order form because he knew that the merchant would actually be looking at the terms and conditions before they signed up. So it is an interesting insight into how that how some companies anyway approach that type of. Uh, um, thing that sort of that agrees with the opinion you had, I suppose, in the terms of what might go into a consumer-facing contract. So, what do you think the role of, uh, in particular, Bitcoin and Ethereum is going to be over the next few years? You know, I know there's all the other crypto tokens and everything, but you know, those two in particular, based on what you see, what what do you think is going to happen? So, um, I think I think um, Bitcoin. Um, and Ethereum, I mean, Ethereum is going to be used, used as, as we're seeing now as the, as the basis for a whole load of different um, uh, initiatives and, and, and projects and use cases. And um, I think that's going to be uh, interesting. I, th- I think in international payments, international settlements generally, is going to be uh, an, a, an obvious um, use case. And we're going to see more, more products around international settlements, international payments. I mean, I deal, I deal quite a bit with the um, insurance uh, sector as well, insurance clients, and um, I, I'm not sure it's particularly been on people's radar around um, uh, around what the sort of the most likely things to happen are. But I, I think I see I see quite a few sort of synergies between what happens in the insurance sector and my clients in the insurance sector, and and what could be the use of, of distributed ledger in, going on in the future. So. So, for example, insurance very heavy, heavily reliant on documentation and data analysis and databases. And at the moment, they use very inefficient solutions for, for you know, recording, evidencing relationships between the parties. Insurance contracts. It's a it's a very heavily intermediated industry. Lots of different players, um, uh, and the removal of a sort of central authority or record keeper in that sort of intermediated industry. I think is is is, is a real real potential benefit around um, reducing cost and reducing right. complexity um, and also around customer customer onboarding uh, and knowing your customer I mean they're already um, you know I'm sure you're aware of, of solutions on the market for customer onboarding um, and, and know your customers and uh, money laundering type solutions and I think that's going to be a key like, a key area in, in the future where uh, distributed ledgers lend themselves very nicely to to proving proving identity, um, which will help you know, people to be able to seamlessly sign up to to various services and products. But also in terms of reducing fraud and, and financial crime. And I know Bitcoin is seen as the Wild West by some people, and you know, and used for not necessarily. Um, 
straight purposes, but actually, you know, around customer identity and um, and knowing your customer, I think it can be a great a great benefit going forward. Well, very good. Um, so, uh, where do you guys have offices? You're based out of the UK. Where are there countries and places? And who would be a um, you know a, poten- a listener that could be a potential customer for you? So we so we're based uh, so primarily in the UK. So we're headquartered in London, uh, but we do have offices in um, other parts of the UK as well, in particular in Scotland. Um, we also have offices in um, Paris. And Germany in mainland Europe. We we just announced recently we're opening up in um, Dublin, um, and then we've also had a. We've traditionally we've been in um, China, Hong Kong, um, for quite a few, and Singapore for quite a few years. But we, we've gone through a, a quite a aggressive international strategy recently. So we've been op- we've opened offices in um, Australia and South Africa as well over the last eighteen months or so. Um, and as I said before, we're sort of a sector-based based firm, so we tend to, to target particular sectors when we open up offices. Um, but our, our typical clients are, are from, in my perspective, as I said earlier, large corporates in the financial services sector. Um, we also have some of the major uh, tech players as well. So um, Microsoft and Google uh, are on our, our books, and I've done, I've done some projects with, with Microsoft as well in the last couple of years. Um, so, because we're a relatively um, large firm, our fees are actually lend themselves more to working with corporates than, than working with the, the startups, if you like. Although we do have initiatives to, to help those out as well. All right, and then I should ask you this at the beginning: What is Pincent Masons? What you know? I'm in the U.S. We don't tend to have names like that. Is that last names of partners, or does that mean something? The name? Yes, it was. I mean, it's it's been developed over over a number of years through mergers, but yeah, they're both surnames of founding partners of different parts of the firm. So, um, Pinson Masons was formed by the merger of Mason Solicitors, and that was named after a child. I don't, I don't know his name. Um, first name, his surname is Mason, and, and similarly, um, the, the firm previously was called Pinson Curtis, and, uh, and they dropped the Curtis. But it's traditionally UK to name. To name firms after um, you know, the surnames of the founding partners, effectively. Yeah, here too in the US, but um, yeah, the names were just strange. I thought it meant something else, but okay. Yeah. I, I, actually, I, I, I don't know whether you are um, uh, familiar with the, the UK rower Matthew Pinson, who won four gold medals over over four different um, Olympic games at rowing, and but he's one of the, the sort of the, the grandson, I think, of the founding partner of. Pinson Masons, so that's a story for you. Very good. Very good. So what's the best way for uh, listeners to get in touch with you and or the firm if they have, uh, you know, an issue in one of the industries that you cover? Yeah, sure. So I think the best the, the best way is is probably through our website, so uh, Um We also have a, uh, a fantastic website called outlaw.com, which is uh, Spell uh, out and then hyphen law dot com, and that's um, that started off around fifteen years ago as a sort of legal insight and and, and technology sort of know how um, site, and it's grown and grown over the years to be sort of a uh, a news a legal news website um, and um, discussion papers and white papers and, and know how for for lawyers, and it's actually 
now we're, we're quite proud of this fact. It's the, it's the world's most visited law firm website. So um, you can you can you can contact people through either outlaw.com through pinsonmasons.com. Well, very good, Tim. I appreciate you coming, and uh, I'm glad to have a different perspective on what's going on. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. Okay, that's not a problem. Thank you very much, Richard. The Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.